0: When you uh, hear the word revival, what do you think? Some of you may think revival in regards to something that was popular at one time coming back again and being revived, like a fashion revival. And uh, a fashion revival is taking place right now. If you don't know, I'm going to let you know. 80s is back, okay? Neon colors, blow your hair out. I was reading that this summer... 80s style is in, and so is the fall. So if you want to start wearing neon to church, you want to start going out there with it, it's being revived. It's going through a revival right now, so you can jump in. So there's fashion revival, something that was popular at one time coming back. Maybe you think uh, about the superhero revival. I was talking to somebody earlier that was talking about some show. I don't even really know who the character is, but it's on Netflix, and they're watching it because there's a superhero revival that's been going on the last couple years, right? It was popular back in the day. All the, the movies were made. But now it's back with a vengeance. There's so many shows and there's so many movies and people are talking about it. There's a revival happening. when something that was popular coming back. There's a boy band revival. Do you guys know this? Right? Back in the day, NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, 98 Degrees, O-Town. Any O-Town fans in the house? You know what I'm saying? Now it's coming back. One Direction started it off, and there's some new band called BTS. Don't know about them, but they're a big deal, apparently, on the worldwide internets. That's what I hear. So there's something popular back in the day, coming back, a revival, or maybe you think about how something is revived or it's improved upon. So there's a neighborhood that undergoes uh, a revival, right? Uh, There's television that has undergone a revival. At one time, it always seemed like movies is where the money was and the budget and the actors, but there's been a revival in TV where now there's a lot of money and there's actors and uh, many of us watch TV and don't watch a lot of movies. There's a revival happening right now in news media, right? It used to be one time, you had to read a few different newspapers, you had to watch these certain channels. Well now, a lot of people get their news on Twitter, they get it on YouTube, they get it all over the place at many different outlets and access because there's a revival and improvement upon that and every one of us in this room has been a part of some type of revival some of you watch every superhero show and movie that's out some of you are going to be wearing some neon this summer looking forward to it some of you are get you get your news on twitter or you get your news on youtube some of you are listening to that band bts i know you don't want to admit it but you are but one of the things i think is undoubtedly true that most of you, if not all of you, when I said, when you hear the word revival, what do you think of? You immediately thought spiritual revival. Raise your hand. How many of you thought spiritual revival? The rest of you are lying. So most of you thought spiritual revival because it just kind of goes together, right? You hear revival, you think spiritual revival. You may have never really been a part of one. You don't really know what it looks like. You've read some stories. You've heard the history of revival. You've read about countries in revival or cities or towns in revival. You've heard about people hosting revivals, spiritual revivals, but you've maybe never really been a part of one, Uh, But the the reality is, in terms of a spiritual revival, if you're here tonight and you're a believer, you've at least experienced it one time, the moment that you came to faith, whether that was an instant or a night or a conversation or a prayer or whether it was over a period of time, there was a spiritual revival that you experienced where the Holy Spirit brought about revival in your life. He awakened you to the truth of God's word and, and faith began to well up in you. You've experienced that. But if I were to say this to you tonight, if I were to say, listen, I want everyone to leave tonight and to pray that God would bring a revival to this church in this city. Many of you would pray because you're awesome. You would pray. But if you were honest, how many of you think that it would actually happen? You pray about it. You pray for revival in the church. You pray for revival in the city. You'd ask God for that, but do you really think you're going to experience that? Do you really think it's going to happen? Because it just is something that you think of when you hear revival, you think spiritual revival, but you maybe don't believe you're ever going to experience it or be a part of it. And tonight, as we continue our series, Face to Face with God, Jesus is going to come face to face with a mistress. And what we're going to see in this conversation is that she experiences spiritual revival but so does the whole town. And Jesus is going to reveal through this conversation, through this story, what are the conditions that are necessary for revival. And so let's, uh, before we jump into the passage, I want to set it up a little bit, let you guys know what is happening here. So Jesus is in Judea, and Judea is in the south of Israel. It's where Jerusalem is. So he's in the Judean uh, region, and he wants to travel with his disciples back north to their hometown, their home area, which is Galilee. And Galilee is where the Sea of Galilee is, where Nazareth, and they spend a lot of time around the coast there in Galilee. So they're in Judea, and they need to travel to Galilee, but they have to pass through a region that's in the middle called Samaria. Now, some Jews would go around to avoid the Samaritans, but many would just go straight through the middle because it's the quickest route. And so Jesus decides to go straight through the middle of Samaria from Judea to Galilee. Now, why this is important is Jews and Samaritans did not get along. They did not mix. They didn't talk. They didn't look at each other. They wanted nothing to do with each other. There was deep racial tension between the two because Jews looked at Samaritans as second-class citizens. Samaritans were Jews who intermarried and intermixed with other pagan cultures. And so there was deep racial tension between Jews in Judea and Jews in Galilee and those living in Samaria. There's also political tension because back in the Old Testament, Israel is divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom, the capital is Samaria, where the Samaritans are. The southern kingdom is where Jerusalem is. So there's this political tension that still carries over, and there is spiritual tension because Samaritans worship the God of the Bible, but they only read and follow the first five books, the Torah, where the Jews read the rest of the Hebrew Bible, and they also had other laws and ceremonial and civil practices that they followed as well. So there's racial tension, there's political tension, there's spiritual tension, and they did not mix. They did not talk. And so Jesus and the disciples are going from Judea to Galilee, and they're going through Samaria, and they stop at this town called Sychar. And this town is significant as well because this town sits in the region where Jacob, one of the forefathers of the faith in the Old Testament, it's where he settled and where he had land and he raised livestock and his family and he gave actually this area in Sychar to one of his sons, Joseph. And Joseph is where the Samaritans trace their lineage from. So this is a very important city for Samaritans and there's a well outside the city and the well is known as Jacob's Well. And it was believed that this is the well that Jacob drank from and the brothers drank from and the whole family. And it fed the livestock and the crops. It was a really important well outside the city of Sychar. So they're walking from Judea to Galilee. They stop in Sychar. And the disciples are hungry. That's all they can think about. And this whole story is food. And so like, Jesus, we're going to lunch. Are you coming with us? And Jesus is like, no, I'm going to stay at the well outside of the city. So he stays at the well. The disciples go into town for lunch. And this is where we pick up the story at the well around noon in the middle of the day. And if you want to look at the text with me, here's what it says. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. See, this is important right, right off the bat. Jesus is sitting at the well. He's alone. This woman comes to the well alone, which is peculiar because the majority of people, when they would go to collect water, they would go at dawn in the morning as a group because it's something you do every day. Water is necessary for life for every aspect of their life, especially in a hot and arid country. And so this woman comes in the middle of the day alone, not in the morning when everybody else would have arrived. And then Jesus is sitting there. He's tired, and he says to her, give me a drink. And you're like, wow, that's kind of rude. I would not suggest for you to ask somebody, hey, give me a drink. That's not going to go over well for you. So you're reading this. You're like, wow, Jesus is like kind of rude, you know. He's kind of impolite. But it's not written that way in the text, in the Greek, in the original. You read it here in the English translation, and you're like, wow, that's rude. But that's not actually the way that it comes across. The way that it's written is that Jesus is sitting at the well. She comes up. She has a bucket to draw water. He doesn't because he's traveling. He's like, hey, um, can I have a drink? And so she's not offended. You can tell that because she responds to him and says, "Uh, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. She's not offended by Jesus asking for the drink. She is shocked that Jesus actually asked her for a drink because Samaritans and Jews do not talk. I mean, she knew Jesus was an outsider. She could tell immediately that he was a Jew. He's passing through. And so she was just going to come up and get her water, keep her head down, and then leave. And then Jesus asked for a drink. And she's like, wait, wait, what? This isn't supposed to happen. Jesus is like the person in the elevator that starts talking to you. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's an unwritten rule when you get in the elevator. You don't talk. You barely make eye contact. And Jesus is that. She's like, he just jumps right in. He's like, can I have a, water, a glass of water? And she's like, whoa, this isn't supposed to happen. Especially because if Jesus accepts water from her, he is breaking Jewish custom. So this is a great offense. And she's really confused. And so Jesus responds to her and says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus has this great way of like, like cutting right beneath it, right, moving right past small talk and just going right to the heart. And he says to her, he says, listen, if you really understood who I am and what I offer, you wouldn't have only given me a cup of water. You would have asked for living water because that's something that I provide. And when you read this, you you think to yourself, okay, what is the living water that Jesus is speaking about? He says that it's the gift of God. Is he speaking about Jesus himself? Like, is he speaking about giving himself to her? Is he speaking about salvation? I think the answer is yes, but he's being very, very specific here. When he says that The gift of God is available. This living water is available. He is speaking about the Holy Spirit. And we know this because in Acts, the Holy Spirit is constantly referred to as the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of God. But we also know more particularly because a few chapters later, here's what Jesus says in John chapter 7. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water but this he spoke of the spirit and so he's speaking here about the spirit he's saying if you if you understood who i am and what i offer you would have asked for the gift of god the living water the holy spirit that is available to you. It's so similar to the conversation he had last week in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus when he tells Nicodemus that he has to be born again of water and the what? Spirit. He's saying the same thing here. There's water, living water available that is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you find it and you experience it and you receive it when you come face to face with Jesus And the Samaritan woman is confused by this, but she's intrigued. And so she continues the conversation. She doesn't just leave like, this guy's weird. What's he talking about? I'm out of here. She stays in the conversation. And she said, sir, um, you have nothing to draw water with. Why you asked me for a drink. And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. See, living water has captivated her attention. She's very interested. But like we saw last week with Nicodemus, which is the case for all of us, she is consumed with material things. She's focused on something physical that she's going to receive or acquire or, or attain or work for. And she's like, Jesus, you don't have a bucket. So unless you have like a magical vial of living water with you, like where, what is this water that you're speaking about. And then she looks at him and she says, and is this water that you're going to provide something more significant than what Jacob gave us? Which is this well right here? Right, this well was the source of life for that community. I mean, it was so important. It was for crops and livestock and cleaning and just to drink, to be refreshed in this hot and arid and dry climate. She's like... Is a living water more important than this? I mean, this well is like the greatest gift you could possibly imagine for an individual and for a community. And Jesus said to her in, in verse 13: Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. This is such a powerfully true and relatable statement by Jesus. Right? He he looks at her and he's like, This is a great gift. But you have to come here every day, and you're going to keep coming here every day to get water for the rest of your life, because this will never quench your thirst. I think sometimes we, we, we come to Jesus just like the Samaritan woman at, at this moment, at this point, where she's confused about living water, and she doesn't understand how Jesus could provide something greater than this well that is a source of life for her and for the community yeah, have you ever thought like this? You've said, You know, Jesus, how could you actually deliver something more satisfying than success? Really? How could you really provide something more significant than a promotion or more money in my bank account? How could you provide Jesus and deliver something more meaningful than a spouse or a child? How could you provide and deliver something, Jesus, more exciting than new experiences with friends? I mean, I understand that you're great and all, and you have something to offer, but can you really deliver something more valuable and important and significant than these things that I go to every single day to quench my thirst? Can you do that? And Jesus' response to us is the same that his response is to her. And he says, listen, you're going to keep running to those things. You're going to keep running to success and promotion and status and recognition and romance and an ideal family and new experiences. And you will be quenched for a moment, but you're going to be thirsty again. You're going to keep having to run to it time and time and time again. You're never going to have enough. It's not like you're going to reach some breaking point where you're like, now I've had enough success and I don't need any more. Now I've had enough romance, I don't need any more. Now I've had enough cool experiences, I don't need anymore. You're never going to be quenched. It's like sometimes we live our life sitting in a steam room drinking water and we're wondering why we're not quenching our thirst, right? It's like we're sweating out more than we're actually taking in. We keep running to it. We keep trying it. We keep thinking that this is going to provide what we need, but it just keeps leaving time and time time again. And so Jesus looks at her and he says, listen, you're going to remain thirsty if you keep focusing on these material things and you keep putting all of these material things as the most important things in life and the greatest gift you could possibly receive. But I have living water to offer. And he says in verse 14, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It's really important to look closely at Jesus' words here so we understand what he's saying. We already know that the living water, the gift of God is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is given to all of those that are thirsty, and he says that when you, when you drink of the Holy Spirit, when you receive the living water of the Holy Spirit, your thirst is dried up. It quenches your thirst. But it's important what he is speaking about here because Jesus is explaining that the water that he provides is a different type of water. It's a different kind of water. It's not as if when you drink of the living water that Jesus is speaking about the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, all of the other thirsts that you have in life just kind of go away. It's not like you receive the Holy Spirit and you're full of living water, then you're like wow, I don't care about success anymore, right? I don't care about romance. I don't care about experiences. I don't care about recognition. It's it's not as if all of a sudden those things are gone. It's not living water, some kind of magical pill to take away your physical longings or your emotional longings in certain areas. He's saying that this different kind of water, this living water quenches the deepest thirst, The thirst that is in your soul that that motivates and and directs how you look at and engage in every other thirst that you have. Because the reality is you have a thirst deep in your soul that influences you. It influences what you engage in and what you prioritize and what you believe is going to make you live a satisfying and fulfilled life. And the type of water that Jesus is speaking about, the gift of God that is the Holy Spirit that swells up in you, It doesn't remove those thirsts, but it reorients them and it reforms them. It brings revival to them. So you may still pursue them, but you engage with them differently. You don't put them on a pedestal as if they're the most important thing in life, as if your job or your relationship or your family or your experiences or your bank account is somehow going to make you feel like you have a meaningful and full life. That's just going to be a thirst that's never quenched. He's speaking about a deeper thirst from a different kind of water. And I love that he says that it wells up in you, it springs up in you to eternal life. When you speak about eternal life, sometimes we think that eternal life is something that we're going to experience when we die. Have you ever thought that? You're like, I, I know I'm assured of eternal life, I'm promised eternal life, but I'm not going to experience that till I die. So I'm just kind of like waiting until that is a reality in my life. But Jesus says that when you receive living water, the gift of God, eternal life wells up in you. It's actually an immediate reality. It's something you experience now, which means it gives revival to you. It brings new life. Right? It reorients and, and revives every other thirst and longing that you run after. It, you are actually born again to a new life. It is life-altering, life-giving water. And it's a gift that Jesus gives when you come face-to-face with him. See, when you hear this, I, I hope that you're sensing the same thing that I was thinking as I was reading through this text. It's like, who wouldn't want that? And the Samaritan woman feels the same way. And she says, sir, give me this water, like you sold me. <laughs> give me the water so I won't be I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. She's like, I want the water. Give me the water. I don't want to be thirsty. And then Jesus says, go get your husband. Bring him here too. See, why does Jesus say this? Why is his response like this? Why isn't his response, okay, you want the water? Here's the water. Step one, two, three, believe this. Here you go. Okay, go on your way. Why does he even bring up this husband situation? You're going to see in a moment that he wants to underscore and to highlight her need and the place that she runs to fill the thirst of her soul because she runs to men. And he wants her to recognize and to see that so he underst- that she understands the power of this water, that this living water will well up in eternal life and bring new life, new birth. It will alter her life and her pursuits going forward as she sees the way that it transforms her. So she responds to him and she said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband for you've had five husbands and the one you now have is is not your husband. What you have said is true. You see, this Samaritan woman had a deep thirst, a longing, an emptiness that was in her soul that motivated her to try to fill it, try to quench it with romance, with men. We we don't know exactly what it was a desire to feel loved or wanted or needed. We don't know what happened in her life previously, but we know that she's had five husbands. I mean, if you met someone today that's had five husbands, you would think to yourself, wow, that's been rough. Like, (laughs) that's been a struggle. But in this culture, to have had five husbands is equivalent to you meeting somebody today and them saying, I've had 20 husbands. Or 20 wives. Maybe even more. It's like, how many? And then... To underscore it even more, the man that she's with, and what that means, the way that it's it's written, is that the man that she's with now, uh, she is sexually and emotionally engaged with, but he is not her husband. And it's probably not as if they're dating either. Most likely, the man that she's with now is married, and she's the mistress, and, and she's breaking up a marriage, she's causing adultery. And you're like, how do you know this, Carter? Well, because... She's at the well at noon, right? She's at the well at noon alone. No one goes to the well at noon. It, it would be a waste of energy and effort. Everyone goes in the morning. She's at comes at noon because she's an outcast. The village knows her baggage. They know her story. They know what she does, and she is not welcome to come with everyone else in the morning. So she comes at noon an outcast, and you think to yourself, okay, is Jesus like trying to to humiliate her? I mean, she's had it rough enough in her life for Jesus then to bring up all these failed marriages and, and the current situation and the fact that she's an outcast and the baggage that she has. Well, I don't think that Jesus is trying to humiliate her. He's trying to enable her to see her need. And and she's not offended. I, I love this about the Samaritan. And she responds and she says, sir, I see that you are a prophet. She's not offended. She knows herself. She's humble enough to know her baggage. She knows her sin. She knows her struggles. She knows her failings. She knows the mistakes that she's made. She's like, you're right. Yep. I see that you're a prophet because you hit it right on the head. I run to romance. I run to men to fill the thirst of my soul, and it has been hard. And that's why I'm out here at noon by myself. And you see, the the reason that Jesus is highlighting this for her and helping her to really experience the hurt of that is because he wants her to see in a moment The power and the beauty of living water. What living water does. How it transforms your other desires. How it brings forgiveness and healing and life-altering change. So they start talking after this interaction, and they start talking about worship, and she starts talking about how there's all these worship divisions, and there's all these different rules and stuff, and she, and Jesus says to her, listen, there's going to be a day where it doesn't matter your race, your background, your baggage, your culture, doesn't matter where you live, you can worship God freely anywhere, and then she responds to him, and she says, I know that Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he will tell us all things, and this is like the climax moment. They're probably sitting a little bit closer now at the well, you know, as they've been talking for a while. And Jesus looks at her right in the eyes, and he says, I who speak to you am he. Can you imagine that moment? She just spoke about the Messiah. All this has happened. She thought Jesus was a prophet, and she realized she's speaking to the Messiah, the one who offers living water. She came to the well with a bucket to fill water like she does every day, And she's going to leave with living water. It's going to alter her entire life. She showed up at the well an outcast and she's going to leave an accepted and forgiven and loved daughter of God. She shows up to the well looking, probably thinking about how she fills her thirst with men. And she's going to leave with her deepest longing and thirst quenched by the Holy Spirit, and she's going to look to immediately start telling everyone she knows about Jesus. Because immediately after this, it says this. I love the way it's written. It says, she left her bucket and ran into town to tell people. It's like she wasn't like, well, that was a really nice experience. Thank you, Jesus. Living water. Let me just kind of go back to my life. She leaves her bucket. She runs into town. She doesn't go make amends with the man that she's with. She's going to deal with that later. She runs into town to the very people who don't like her, who have outcasted her, who don't want to collect water with her, and she runs in, and she starts telling them about Jesus. She's like, I just met the Messiah. He's at the well. You need to come. Let's go together. And it says that the village, the city of Sychar, comes out to meet jesus and many samaritans believed quote unquote that jesus was the savior of the world the first christian missionary is the samaritan woman isn't that amazing this woman with a lot of baggage and a lot of struggles and a lot of brokenness who experiences spiritual revival as she comes face to face with jesus brings about spiritual revival in an entire city it's unbelievable. And this is what living water does. When you experience, when you receive, and when you're full of living water, it alters your life. It alters the other thirst that you have and the other longings that you're looking to see filled. It, it fixes the priority. It helps you to understand what you should engage in and what you should look for for satisfaction. You don't fall under the illusion that success and romance and new experiences and more money is somehow going to make your life more meaningful because you have the most meaningful thing, which is the Holy Spirit living and active inside of you. And it causes in you a desire to tell other people about Jesus. And it, it says that during this time as a disciples remember, they've, they've been out of the scene for a while, that they return from lunch. And they get back, and they notice that Jesus has been talking to this woman, and they're like confused why Jesus would talk to a Samaritan woman. But they don't even inquire. They're just like, hey, we just had a great meal in there. And uh, are you hungry, Jesus? Someone get Jesus some food. He's like, I don't need any food. I partake of a, a different type of bread. They're like, what bread? The woman gave you some bread? did someone get Jesus from Peter you got some food for Jesus like come on and Jesus like guys you're missing it there is a harvest of people that are hungry and thirsty for something much deeper than food and water that's all they can think about the disciples is food they're focused on their appetite they're focused on filling that very quick and immediate need and Jesus is like, don't miss it. There is a harvest that you have the living water to give to them. A deeper thirst, a deeper hunger than these physical material things. But they were too busy being focused on lunch. And I think that, you know, there's, there's two main reasons that we are out to lunch instead of filled with living water. We're more like the disciples than the Samaritan woman, most of the time. We're focused on what we can eat and filling that quick, immediate need. And I think one of the reasons is because we're dry and thirsty. And maybe some of you are are here tonight, and you've never really sat with Jesus at the well. You're, You're kind of checking it out. You've had a couple conversations with Jesus, but then you kind of leave. You kind of step out. Especially when you you begin to realize that your sin is being exposed. You're like, that's uncomfortable, I'm I'm out. And and so you're, you're dry and you're thirsty. You have this deep longing in your heart that you're trying to fill with other things and it's not working. Well, Jesus is available tonight as he was to that woman at the well. He is always available. And he invites you to sit with him and to engage with him. To not run away, to stay like the woman stayed and to talk with him and to bring your struggles and bring your pain and bring your baggage and know that you can receive the gift. You don't have to earn it. You can receive the gift of living water by coming face to face with Jesus and seeing and believing that he is in fact the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And that's available to you tonight to be full of the Holy Spirit, the gift of God. But if you've experienced that, if you've had that spiritual revival, you, you said, yes, I've experienced, I've sat with Jesus at the well, I have received living water, I have seen how God can alter my desires and my longings, but right now, Carter, I, I'm, I'm just spiritually dry and thirsty, and I need a drink, and maybe your question is, how do I get refilled, Right? How do I have revival in in my life? Well, the answer is you sit at the well. J.I. Packer has this great quote. He says this, Christians in revival are accordingly found living in God's presence, attending to his word, feeling acute concern about sin and righteousness, rejoicing in the assurance of Christ's love and their own salvation, spontaneously constant in worship, and tirelessly active in witness and service fueling these activities by praise and prayer christians in revival are full of living water they are full of god's presence the holy spirit is the presence of god living and active inside of you who connects you connects you with christ who applies grace and forgiveness to your heart and to your mind and he is living and active inside of you right now, even if you don't recognize it. And J.I. Packer rightly points out that Christians in revival first are sitting at the well. They're sitting in God's presence. And you're like, what does that look like to sit in God's presence? Well, look at some of the things that he says. He says that you attend to God's word. You spend time in God's word. You confess your sin, meaning you're humble enough to admit it. And you confess your sin to God, but then you reassure yourself with the promises of your forgiveness. You're tirelessly active in witness and service, even when you don't feel like it. You're looking to serve people and to share the gospel with people. And how do you fuel all of this? Well, he says by praise and prayer. Praise in your personal life, praise here on Sunday night, coming expectantly and excited to worship, and through prayer. Not out of obligation, but out of joy. The privilege of prayer. You know, if you're feeling dry and thirsty, spiritually dry and thirsty, and you're not doing these things, outside of a miracle of God's grace, you're going to remain dry and thirsty. I mean, it's not rocket scientists, It's not rocket science. You sit at the well expectantly because Jesus has promised that when you come face to face with him, you receive living water. See, a great privilege of faith is that you have limitless access to God's presence. Limitless. Limitless access to God's presence because the Holy Spirit is living and active inside of you. You don't have to come to church to experience God's presence. God's presence is powerfully present at church, but you have the Holy Spirit through faith available to you at all times. So why don't you take advantage of that? We get so distracted by our other longings and filling those quick immediate needs because we're out to lunch. Just trying to fill something quickly that we feel that we miss out on the opportunity to sit at the well with Jesus and be full of living water. And you know what it means I think to sit at the well expectantly is to sit at the well saying you know when I open the Bible and I sit It doesn't matter if I'm not a scholar and haven't spent all this time. I'm sitting there expectantly knowing that God is faithful to his promises. It's not like, oh, my gosh, the Bible. Okay. I'm going to read a verse. It's not coming to church. You're thinking about church on Sunday, and you're like, I know I should be, you know, fueling all of this with praise. But, like, is there a good excuse so I can sit home and watch Netflix? Um, I think I'm sick. Yeah, I'm sick. It's not thinking about prayer like like yeah, I know I'm supposed to pray, so I'm gonna like think of like three things and like shoot them up to God. I prayed, sitting at the well, face to face with Jesus, expectantly attending to His word, spending time in prayer and praise, thinking and confessing your sin and knowing that you're loved and forgiven, and preaching the gospel to yourself in that way. And the Holy Spirit will fill you. That's the promise. I think the second reason sometimes we may be out to lunch like the disciples instead of filled with living water like we see the Samaritan woman is that we you've elevated and this happens in my life too you elevate your witness over the gospel witness so if you spend any time in church you know this you know that as a Christian you are called to share the gospel with people you're to be tireless in witness and service that some people have the gift of evangelism But everyone is called to love people, to serve people, and to share the gospel with people. But it can be so easy to fall into this trap. Have you ever thought this? Yeah, I know I'm supposed to share the gospel with people, but, you know, like I can't really share the gospel with people at my work or with my friends or with my family because they know me. Like, I was with them last Friday night, and they know what I did, they know my baggage, they know my sin, they know my mistakes, and I don't have a good witness right now. I got to work on my witness. I'm going to start to making some better choices. I'm going to kind of give it some time, you know. They're going to see that I'm going to say no to a few things. I'm going to make some good choices. I'm going to let them know that I'm praying for them, you know, something like that. I'm going to do that. Then once I have a good witness... Then I'll share the gospel with them. Then I'll invite them to church. Then I'll let them know that I actually go to church once I work on my witness. What does a Samaritan woman do here? She's the outcast of the city. She doesn't look at Jesus and say, thank you so much for living water. This is amazing and life-altering. Um, I'm going to go, so I promise you, I'm going to go in the city for the next year. I'm really going to work on my reputation, my witness. I'm going to fix the relationship with the man I'm going to start making better choices. Hopefully, the people will let me come in the morning and get the water in the morning with them. And once I work on my witness, then I'll share the gospel. I'll share the good news of who you are, Jesus, with them. No, she leaves her bucket, and she runs into the town of the very people that want nothing to do with her, and she starts telling them about Jesus. They know her baggage. She didn't clean herself up first. She just started telling them about Jesus, and revival breaks out it is not about your witness. It's about the gospel witness. Jesus does not need you to be clean for his message to penetrate somebody's heart. He doesn't need you to work on your perfection, to fix all your issues before you can share the good news of living water. It's not about that. It's about sitting at the well expectantly with Jesus, attending to his word, spending time in prayer and praise and confessing your sin and receiving the promises that the Holy Spirit is living and active inside of you and you have limitless access to God's presence now, tomorrow, and every day going forward. And then going to your work and to your friends and to your family and taking advantage of opportunities that God provides to share the living water with them too or just to invite them to come with you to see Jesus. Let's pray.